Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for reading scripture this morning, Julie. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I always like to start with words of appreciation and gratitude. Thanks to everyone who's a part of ministries this morning. Uh, here in the church, elsewhere, um, joining and serving in all different kinds of places, I uh, want to say a special word of thanks to someone in the gathering band today. Austin Patton, who was sitting right here in the chair playing djembe and filling in, is kind of a multi-talented polymath here at the church. He helps in a lot of different ways. His regular non-djembe job is the director of productions, and the productions department and that entire team are the ones who make sure that the lights are on, that the voices are amplified, and also that all of the streaming and online and video ministry are working as well. So that is important all the time. It's doubly important on a day like today where a suspicious number of our streaming views are coming from lake houses and the Colonial Country Club this morning. If you aren't aware of how to stay in touch with FUMC when you aren't physically present here at the church, if you go to the App Store on any of your devices and go to My FUMC, that's the home of the My FUMC app. It's a course of a way to check in via live streams, be a part of Worship Live no matter where you are in the world. You can also check out video recordings of live services, but also Bible studies. I did an entire Bible study on the book of Mark. That's all right there uh, on the MyFUMC app as well. Ginny's doing a Bible study. We're adding more content. So just an important way to keep connected. Austin, the productions team, the communications team, they make sure that all of that is working all the time. So thank you to that crew. I appreciate you so much. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm the senior pastor here at the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. And I want to share a story. It happened in April of 2017. I was working here at First United Methodist Church. And I was driving and I was coming home from lunch, or coming back to work from lunch and uh, got a call and I was able to answer it hands-free, Bluetooth, being safe. And it was an unexpected phone call and it was from a reporter a television reporter from the NBC affiliate here at, in DFW. I don't know what your response to unsolicited phone calls from news reporters are for me. Not great. What had happened and why the reporter was calling me was I had shared a story in the gathering. I had shared a story in the gathering worship service and uh, someone who had heard that story was related to the reporter, had shared that story with her, and it actually fit something that they were doing a story on. They were trying to share examples of faith stories around the Easter season um, from people here in North Texas. And so they actually came and we sat in the garden and did an interview. She wanted to hear the story that I told. And the first part of the story is this. Uh, for those of you who are aware, I, was, gr I grew up being exposed to church, but I wasn't a Christian young adult. I wasn't a Christian in high school or college. thought it was fine, but it wasn't really for me. Um, but I uh, became Christian on my own in my early 20s while living in Chicago. I was actually the manager of a fine wine and spirits boutique in Chicago at the time. You know, that's where all good pastors come from, wine and liquor stores. And... Uh, I had an experience. I was becoming a Christian on my own, and I was at a bar. Sh shocker. I was at a bar, and I was hanging out with my buddy who was a customer at the store, and we were talking, and even though we were, you know, grown-ups, we were still young, and I was asking him, you know, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be when you grow up? And, and he goes, well, what about you? What do you want to be? And in the middle of that experience, um, I had a vision. I had a vision. It's only happened to me one time in my life. I had a, I had a vision and uh, never happened before, never happened since, certainly not expect, something I expected to see happen. I will acknowledge I was at a bar, <laughs> but I had been to a bar a lot and never had visions. So 
this was unique. And I, in this vision, I, uh, I saw myself, it was, and I was wearing a robe, and I was in a, it was in a church, and I was, I was preaching, and there was congregation, it was an older, you know, church building, and wood, and balconies, and things like that, and I said, uh, well, I think I want to be a, a preacher. And that thought had never entered my mind before, never considered it before. Remember, I'm becoming a Christian secretly at this time. Um, I'm a part of a church, not a secret, I'm not hiding it, but no one cares. And, uh, and I never thought about it before, but from that moment, everything changed. I had this vision, and then everything changed. And from that point on, that was the, I knew I had that call moment in my life. And uh, that's not actually why she wanted to hear the story and play it on the news. I'll share the second half as to why a little bit later. The idea of, of visions and calls from God is, is deeply tied into today. So uh, another thing I want to talk about is this building. I don't know if y'all have watched the Colonial Golf Tournament uh, over the course of the last couple days. I have not at all because I am not into golf. And that's something you cannot safely admit as a middle-aged man. Um, but I'm not into golf. I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot of you guys reaching out. Apparently, CBS is loving showing our church in and out of breaks when they're showing, you know, downtown Fort Worth and context and things like that. And it's really cool. And it, it made me think a little bit about what's out in front of our church. And I get three questions about what our church looks like here all the time. I get three questions all the time. I took a picture this morning. The three questions I get are, one, why are the towers two different heights? The second question I get is, why is Jesus holding a Bible? And the third question I get is, why Jesus standing next to a stump? So uh, I hate to say this. I'm going to have like a whole bunch of points in this sermon, but I'm realistic. These are the three things you're actually going to remember. Why the, why the towers are different heights? We're a neo-Gothic revival style architecture, so we're modeled on Gothic era cathedrals that were in Western Europe, and a lot of those Gothic era cathedrals had uh, towers that were two heights, so we're simply mirroring that architectural style. The reason that they typically had different heights in Europe is not theologically significant at all. Sometimes it would just be financial reasons. They're building and they need to stop because they ran out of money. Uh, sometimes there would be some architectural issues that had to do with weight and balancing, and so the towers needed to be different heights based on the materials and the foundation that was below it. Sometimes, you know, cathedrals would be always built over the course of generations, and sometimes the concluding generation would be working on it, and they would go, you know what? Let's build all our tower a little bit higher than my dad did. And that's why they're different heights. So that's why ours is to tie into that historical, um, historical connection. I don't know if that influences your daily life of faith. Maybe it does. The second, why is Jesus holding a Bible? And that's important to think about because I don't know if you've realized this, but Jesus never encountered a Bible in a, a day in his life. He never encountered a Bible. Jesus was a faithful Jewish man. At that time, what was called, what we call the old, he, what he would have called the Bible, we would have called uh, the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. It wouldn't have ever been bound like that. It would exclusively be found in scrolls. So we hear stories of Jesus opening up the scroll of Isaiah and reading it. That's how he would have encountered scripture. And honestly, even those collected scrolls would have been so expensive and so rare that for the vast majority of Jesus' life, he would have just heard the Bible recited. People would have it memorized. But he never would have actually encountered uh, a physical printed copy like this. They're called the codexes when they first became bound and things like that. It's about a thousand years after Jesus' life. So uh, why he's depicted like that in our statue is either one of two things. Um, one, it's just a historical inaccuracy. 
Or two, the artist was trying to make a point that the story of Jesus, uh, the story of God, the story of us is found in these scriptures and he's drawing it to us. And of course, I think that's the reason why. Uh, but the third is actually the most important for today. Why is Jesus standing next to a stump? Why is Jesus standing next to a stump? Because I, I can imagine spending a lot of time as a sculptor and, uh, and, and finally finishing Jesus and finally and being like, you know what, I think I'm going to leave the stump out. <laughs> I'm tired of sculpting, but the sculpture made sure to keep the stump in. And, and why is that? The reason that Jesus is standing next to a stump is actually a reference to a prophecy that comes to us from the Hebrew Bible, from the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah had this piece of scripture. It's Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 2. If you will bring it up on the screen. Uh, Isaiah, when he was proclaiming that the one who is to come has this to share. And he says this, a, a shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall go out of its roots. And he continues, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And remember, in their context, fear means awe and reverence, etc. So if you'll go back to the portions that are about the spirit, that's what's most important. The stump of Jesse is the family tree of Jesse. The family tree of Jesse includes King David. And it's a fulfillment of what God has promised to David, saying that your lineage, your connection to the historic root of the people of Israel will reach its culmination in the one who will rule forever. So Jesus coming out of the stump of Jesse is the fulfillment of God working through those promises that God has made because God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. That's why Jesus is standing next to a stump, because he's a shoot that grows out of that family tree, showing how the entire story of God and God's people is tied together. However, it's this next part, and if you'll go forward to the next slide, that's incredibly important for us today. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Last slide, if you would, please. The spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And that is what is tying into our message today. That little stump out there in our parking lot actually has everything to do with what's happening here today. If you'll notice, we got kind of a red motif going on at church today. If you notice, we're a little more red than we typically are. The Christian year has certain stories that you have to tell every single year. You have to tell the story of Jesus' birth, the advent of Christ, the coming of God with us in the birth that came to us on Christmas Day 2,000 years ago. You can't have a Christian year go by without telling that story. You have to tell the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. You just can't have a, a year go by without telling that story. And so over Holy Week and Easter, we tell that story every single year. But you also can't tell the story of Christ and of Christ's continuing work in the world without telling the story of Pentecost. In the scripture reading that we had today, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it's the telling of the story of Pentecost and key to understanding what it means and why we revisit it every single year is that it's not the story of something that happened one time. It's the story of a fundamental change in the relationship between God and God's creation through the followers of Jesus Christ that began at that moment, has never stopped since, and will continue on forever. And we can't have a year go by without telling that story. And here's why. 
If you're reading the book of Acts, it's one of the easiest books to pick up and read if you've, if you've never read the Bible. It's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the book of Acts is written by the author of Luke, and it continues on the story. What happens after the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus? What happens now? Jesus has ascended into heaven. His disciples, his followers, have gathered together. They're still in Jerusalem. They've gone nowhere, and they've done nothing. They're waiting They're waiting for instructions. They're waiting for directions. They're waiting for what's next. But Christ has ascended. He's gone. What next? The city is full. It's a Jewish holiday. So people observing Jewish customs have filled the city, and then something happens. The Holy Spirit descends. The presence of God descends and joins them and empowers them, not only for their own understanding, but to be in ministry. And that's what the speaking in tongues is about. They're being given the gifts of languages because people have joined from all over the world and they're able to speak to them in their native languages to tell the story of Jesus. That's what the fire imagery is about, that spirit and that presence and that work and that energy that's making it all possible. And before that had happened, imagine the situation that the disciples were in. They followed Jesus for a couple years now. And they've been empowered by him and charged by him to go out and to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to take that message to the ends of the earth. And if I'm one of those disciples, what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling is I'm looking at the other 11 of us and I'm going, guys, we were not exactly A students when he was here. What are we supposed to do now? We weren't exactly nailing it when he was here. He was having to correct us. He was having to teach us. He was having to shape us and show us over and over and over again. We weren't exactly A students. How are we supposed to do this now? You may be a cradle Christian. You may be watching online from a bar in Chicago. You may be someone who's on the very first steps of following Jesus. And at some point, there's going to be a question, what now? So I've, I've heard the stories, so I've, I've, I've seen some of the work, but what now? What do I do, and how do I do it? That's the exact same situation that the people are in at that moment, and the answer to what happens for those disciples, and the answer to what happens in your life is found on that moment in Pentecost. In order to understand what happens at Pentecost, and the idea of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you first need to understand the understanding of the Spirit of God that the original disciples and apostles would have had. For the thousands of years of Jewish history, they had this understanding of the Spirit of God, the knowledge of God, the relationship with God as something that came and went. The Spirit of God anointed people, showed up in the lives of people, made it possible for them to do things like communicate God's purposes for the world and what it is that God wanted and what it was that God desired and how it was that they needed to change and what it was that they were capable of doing. And then the Spirit of God would leave. It would not be with that person. It would not be in the community. All you had a chance to do was to go back and read and listen, but that was it. The Spirit of God was present and the Spirit of God was gone. And all you had left were the stories that came behind. Isaiah has this prophecy 
about the one who is to come. And the Spirit of God will be with him like it was with people that came before him, these great leaders, these incredible people. The spirit of knowledge, the spirit of comfort, the spirit of respect and awe, and what it is to really understand who God is and what God is doing. The spirit of the Lord will be upon him. It's right there in the stump, guys. I thought that was going to be funny. <laughs> and it was. And it absolutely was. God with us in Jesus, of course, had that spirit. Of course, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was present and active in his ministry, his teaching, his healing, his work, his crucifixion, his resurrection. On the day that he was, before he was to give himself up for us, the day that he had this last supper with his disciples, Jesus knows that these not A students who've been following him and listening to him are going to be the ones responsible for taking his message the ones for taking his understanding, the ones who are going to be responsible to establish his church, to preach his gospel, and take it to the world. And he knows that they're not going to be able to do it on their own. Because it's not just about hearing it one time and going out and do it perfectly. It's not just a lesson you can imbibe or receive once and have it perfectly and forever in your heart. But I've got good news for you, he says. Even after my crucifixion, even after my resurrection, even after my ascension and seeming absence, you're not going to be alone. In John's gospel, there's some long chapter in 14 and 15. It's called the farewell discourse. And Jesus says things like this. At this dinner in this small room, knowing what's going to happen in just a few hours, Jesus says to them, what's going to happen next is I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, or helper, paraclete. The one who goes alongside is what it's called in Greek to be with you forever, to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees God or knows God. That's what it's about. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Jesus continues on, just in case that wasn't enough. He has another saying. He, he continues on. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. And remind you of all that I've said to you. He will teach you everything. He'll remind you of all that I've said to you. And just in case that wasn't enough, he follows it up with this. Three is a big theme in the Bible. I don't want to spoil it with you. When the advocate comes, when the helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. He will witness on my behalf. He will show you on my behalf. Father and Son connected to you through the Holy Spirit, even after my crucifixion and my resurrection, my ascension and my seeming absence, I promise you, through the Holy Spirit, I am right there with you, still revealing, still speaking, Still preaching and teaching, showing, comforting, and providing. I am right there. Which changes everything for those first disciples. Because their story is no longer about what do we remember that Jesus said, how do we act perfectly and get others to do likewise. After the moment of Pentecost... The story then becomes how do we connect and listen to and live in relationship with this loving and present Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How do we discern where it is that the Spirit is leading us today? And how do we help other people do the same? 
on that moment, upon that gift of the presence of God forever. The story changes from how do we hear these words, change our lives perfectly, and make other people do the same, to how do we listen to and connect with the presence of God, discern where it is that God would have us go and who God would have us be, and how do we help other people to do the same. So, uh, the reason that this NBC reporter was interested in speaking with me, one, I got a feeling, was kind of like a tight deadline. Two, is because the story doesn't end with me just being in a bar in Chicago and having this vision. Uh, that's where the story was for a really long time. Um, I had this vision, and I, it, just, it changed my life, and it, it took my faith from being something that I was doing on my own to the driving story of my life. And uh, I end up becoming engaged um, to my then high school sweetheart, my now wife. We come back to the North Texas area. We, um, we get married. We go through some, some rocky times of health challenges and things along those lines. And at some point, I am a part of the ordination process in the United Methodist Church. And one of the things that happens when you're in the ordination process is they'll ask you, what's your call story? What's the story of you feeling called from Jesus? And what's really fascinating is almost everybody's story is something like mine. Almost everybody's story is something dramatic and powerful and poignant and clear. It's really remarkable. And so uh, what had happened was I had been connected through our system and invited to come to the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. I was sent here from another area. Um, I happened to live in Fort Worth, but was, was working elsewhere. And I had a first day. Anyone else have a first day? I had a first day at my new job. Um, unlike most jobs, this first day involves you preaching. <laughs> but it was my first day. It was my first day as a pastor. You know, I've been following and answering this call, but it was my first day to be Reverend Lance Marshall. It was my first day to have followed that call to its fulfillment. It was at Pentecost Sunday at this church 10 years ago. This is my 10th anniversary today. Uh, in fact, I asked Allie and the production team, that's me. That's me. Uh, it's Mr. Lance Marshall instead of Reverend because that actual appointment started in June. This was in May, but I'm going to give myself those days. Um... If you want to point out the gap between my hairline, the gray in my beard, and the increased weight, that's y'all's fault, not mine. <laughs> that's y'all's fault. It was Pentecost Sunday, and so I, I, uh, a bunch of my friends and family had come, and, and people from my previous church, and they had, they had all come to support me and, uh, and be a part of the worship service. And afterwards, we all went to the, the service, and they said, wow, Lance, we're so glad we were here. Mr. Mark was really good. <laughs> the reason the reporter wanted to hear my story is because uh, I had had a vision in Chicago, just hanging out with a buddy, and all of a sudden I had a vision of uh, being a pastor and wearing a robe and being in a room in a traditional church, and there are wood pews and a balcony and things along those lines. And uh, 10 years ago on Pentecost, I walked into the pulpit my first day of answering a call to ministry. And I stand there, and there's a traditional church, and there's the balcony, and there's the wood pews, and there's the vision that I had, ten, or I had years prior in Chicago. I'd never seen the First United Methodist Church 
of Fort Worth before. I never connected with it. My first day as a pastor, there's the vision. Does that sound crazy? Sounds crazy. I share that because when we think about what it is to experience the Holy Spirit in your life, a lot of times we associate it with people or with portions of the Christian tradition that may be really demonstrative, uh, maybe really emotional. It's called charismatic, charism, gifts of the Spirit. We may associate like, well, those are the people who have really strong experiences of the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you that there is no more white bread or buttoned up person on the face of the planet than Lance Marshall. And yet I had a charismatic experience. I had an experience of a vision that then came to fulfillment across the country later. Does this kind of stuff happen? Does this really happen? The disciples on Pentecost realized from that moment on, their life wasn't going to be about trying to be perfect. It was going to be about trying to listen to what the Spirit had to say to them. Be connected with the Spirit that was already active to discern what it is and how it was the Spirit was leading them and to help other people do the same. What I was doing at that time in my life, unbeknownst, I didn't have any, you know, plans. I was doing it on my own, but I had started to devote my life and organize it around the practices of worshiping and praying and serving and giving and learning and enjoying the goodness of God's creation. I began to attune my life to these practices that the Methodists for hundreds of years have called the means of grace, and all they are are the radio stations upon which God is reaching out and communicating to all of us all the time everywhere. For years now in this congregation, we've asked you, urged you to organize your life around worship and praying and giving and serving and learning and playing because those are the means of grace. Those are the radio stations. Those are the channels through which the living and present Spirit of God given to the world on Pentecost and just as active in this room and in this place as it was in the upper room in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. That's how it is that we learn to pay attention. Because as much as I love that song and its lyrics, what it invites, to do, what it invites the Holy Spirit to do is show up, and I've got a word for you, it already has. The Spirit is present and active in your life. You're not going to have a vision, maybe ever. You're not going to have big, loud, and audible words speaking to you that are shaking the roof of your car. Turn left, then park. This is God. You're welcome. <laughs> but a life organized around those practices opens up your heart tunes you to his grace, connects you with the Spirit of God that is alive and active in you. That's the gift. That's the promise. And on that day, following Jesus changed from trying to be perfect to just trying to listen. Together, we're a church who listens. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Great and loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, great are you and greatly to be praised. Today we praise you in recognition of that moment on Pentecost, 
That moment where the Spirit of God no longer comes or goes, is present or absent, is no longer given to anoint just some people for just some things at just some times, but is instead with us, through us, in all of us always, whether we know it or not. Lord, help us to open our eyes. Help us to open our ears. Help us to quiet our anxious minds so that we can discern what it is you have to say. Lord, we do so with patience, knowing that living in relationship with you is its own reward. So, Lord, speak as you will. Your servants are listening. And it's together in faith and trust that we pray the words that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.